we're in lesson 12 today, and we're going to look at the choice to make, the choice to make, and that's in 1 Samuel 24, verse 1 through 1 Samuel 26, verse 25. So again, we don't have enough time to kind of read through these passages together. We have a lot of material to cover today in our lesson, so we're going to get right into it. We're going to start off with first with chapter 24. Now, when I say a choice to make, we're going to see with each one of these chapters, 24, 25, and 26, David has a choice to make, and the impact of that choice will affect his kingship later. And that's what the author is wanting us to see as we go through these chapters. And you're going to see what I'm going to say as we go through it as well. So let's start with chapter 24. Now, what we're going to see is, is that chapter 24 starts out with Saul once again pursuing David. Remember, he was pursuing David. He had to stop because the Philistines were attacking. Well, after pursuing the Philistines, Saul once again searched for David with 3,000 men. So having dealt with the Philistine threat, they now decide it's time to go back to look for David. So Saul takes 3,000 choice men and goes looking for David. Now, the writer states that Saul left his troops to attend to his needs in a cave. What's he talking about, George? Well, let's just be honest with you. Saul needed to use the bathroom, only there's no bathroom or porta john anywhere, so he goes to a cave to do his business, so to speak, attend to his needs. Now, Saul entered the cave that David and his men were staying in. Talk about an irony here. The very cave that Saul goes in to do his business is the very cave that David and his men are hiding in at the back of the cave. So here comes the king going in to, quote, take care of his business, and it happens to be where David and his men are. Now, as the king is doing his business, of course, David's men encouraged David to kill Saul, saying, this is what David was promised. This is what David was promised. In fact, I want you to look here at verse 4 in chapter 24. It says, Then the men of David said to him, This is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hands, that you may do to him as it seems good to you. So they're reminding David of a, quote, promise that he was given at some point that God would deliver his enemy into his hands to do whatever he wanted him to do. And so they're assuming that this promise has to do with Saul and that the fulfillment of that promise is right now. That fulfillment of that promise is right now. So, so David arose and went and cut off the corner of Saul's garment. He arose, went, and cut off the corner of Saul's garment. So you say, how can he do that? Well, probably Saul laid aside his garments to do his business. So he obviously isn't going in there 
to just well, – he, he's going in there to do you, – you, I think you know what I'm talking about here. So he probably laid aside his garments. David goes over, creeps over, and cuts off the corner of Saul's garment. Now, as he's doing this, David has a conscience. So David's conscience troubled him, and he proclaimed that he was not fit to lift his hand against Saul. In fact, the text says it was not good for him to lift his hand against the Lord's anointed. Now, some of you are going to have a problem with that statement. Because some of you are going to sit to yourself and you're going to say, well, hasn't God already rejected him? He's not anointed anymore. Hasn't the spirit left him? That's why he's being tormented. That's not the point. He was anointed to be king. So he is still king holding that anointed position. So it's not that the spirit's not with him or it's not that God has rejected him. It's that he still holds the title of the king. And so in David's mind, I can't lift my hand against the anointed one. I can't lift my hand against the one that God anointed to be king of Israel because he's still king. He's still king and it's not my place to do that. So his conscience is troubling him. Well, the next thing you see is, is that his men wanted to do it. It's like, okay, if you can't do it, David, I understand, but I'll do it. I'll take care of him. I'll cut his life short. But David restrained his men from attacking the king, and Saul left the cave. So basically, David stopped his men from going and killing Saul. Saul finished his business, went outside to be with his troops went outside to be with his troops. Now, after Saul's out of the cave for a little bit, David then emerges. And so calling out to Saul, David stooped and bowed down when Saul responded. Now, again, you're probably saying to yourself, why in the world is he doing this? This is the guy who's out to kill him, and he's bowing down to the king, humbling himself. You know, it's one thing if he was truly the king and, and truly somebody worthy of, of getting respect. Here, I, I think it's interesting, you're seeing David paying respect to Saul even though Saul is doing wrong. Why? Because he's the king. So David calls out to him, he stoops down, bows down when Saul responds to him because Saul recognizes his voice. Now, the next thing you're going to see is, is that David interacts with Saul and he questioned why Saul listened to rumors claiming that David wanted to kill him. David obviously knows what's going on here. Saul has some people in his court who are feeding the monster. Remember, Saul's dealing with a jealousy issue going on here. He's, he's feeling threatened by David. And so obviously he has some people around him who are feeding the monster by feeding this fear of his, by spreading these rumors. And, and David questioned why Saul was listening to them because basically David is saying, I haven't done anything. You know I've always served you. I've done everything you've asked me to do. I'm your son-in-law. What is going on here? Why are you listening to these guys? 
Now, David then shifts the conversation, and so David pointed out that the Lord gave him into his hand, and he spared the king. So David's making a very valid point here. He's saying, okay, king, Saul, you, you think I'm out to kill you? Well, here's an instance where God gave you into my hand, and I could have killed you, but I didn't. I didn't kill you. So if, if I'm, quote, wanting to kill you, why would I just let you go? Why would I just let you go? And to make his point, David showed him the corner of the robe and pointed out that Saul still seeks him. So David's saying, okay, you know, just to make the point that I could have killed you, here, here's, look at this piece of fabric here. Isn't that from your robe you're wearing? Take a look. Aren't you missing a section? So why are you still seeking my life? I'm showing you that I'm not out to get you. David's making a very, very valid point here. So David then goes on to call the Lord, call on the Lord to judge between he and Saul and to avenge him. So David says, well, the Lord be the judge between you and I. And the Lord avenge me if I am being wronged. He's basically placing himself in the hands of God to do as he sees fit. Wow, what an attitude here. See, remember I told you the lesson that we're doing today is called the choice to make. So David's first choice here was confronted with he could take out Saul and end this thing. But is he really going to end it? But rather, he chooses not to. He chooses to honor Saul, and he chooses to allow the Lord to decide his fate, what's going to happen. And he chooses to allow the Lord to avenge him for the wrong that has been done to him. Now, as you progress in chapter 24, then you see now that Saul expresses remorse. Saul expresses remorse. So crying out, Saul proclaimed that David was more righteous than he. I think that's pretty obvious. Now, some people would say that Saul is repenting here. Sometimes that word is used here, that Saul repented. I'm going to tell you that what Saul's doing here is he's expressing remorse. Now, how do you know the difference between remorse and repentance? They all appear to be the same. They all appear to be acknowledging sin, confessing sin, and their regret over the sin. But how do you tell the difference between repentance and remorse? And I'm going to tell you, the difference can be seen over time. Over time. Because if it's remorse, time will fade that remorse and the person will continue in that behavior. That's exactly what we're going to see here with Saul. Saul's expressing his remorse and saying that David is more righteous than he, but we're going to see by chapter 26, he's back to looking for David to kill him again. So that's the difference here. That's the difference between re repentance and remorse. So Saul proclaimed 
that he knows that David will become king and establish Israel as a nation. So basically Saul says, I know that you're going to become king. See, I think at this point, Saul knows that this is the one that Samuel told him about. Remember when we looked, when, when, when he was uh, basically rejected by the Lord for not killing the Amalekites, not killing King Agag, and Samuel said to him, look, the kingdom has been torn from you and given to somebody else. Saul knows that that somebody else is David, and that's what he's expressing here. That's what he's expressing here. He has David swear not to destroy his house, which David swore. He's basically, I think he's acknowledging, David, you're going to become king. Things aren't going to go well, and when they don't go well for me, don't kill my house. Don't kill my house. But I need you to remember, David's already sworn the very same covenant with Jonathan to keep Jonathan's household. Now, this is going to be very important when we get to 2 Samuel, when we get to 2 Samuel. So Saul then went home, and David returned to his stronghold with his men. So chapter 24 basically leaves it with Saul taking his 3,000 troops, heading back to wherever they're based at, wherever Saul sees himself in his kingdom at. And David basically goes back to his stronghold there in the wilderness. And it seems at this point that everything's back to normal. Back to normal. Well, now we come to chapter 25. Chapter 25 now seems like just a story in the midst of the story of David and Saul. But again, it has to do, remember, the purpose of the narrator as he's presenting the material in 1 Samuel is to show you the development of David as he is moving towards the fulfillment of the anointing to be king. And so this is a very, very important story in the whole issue of David becoming king. Yes, it's about a guy by the name of Nabal who insults David, but it's very important because, again, David's going to have to make a choice. David's going to have to make a choice concerning what to do with Nabal. So when we come to chapter 25, the writer records in the very first verse that Samuel died and was buried in Ramah as all Israel lamented. He just devotes one verse because the focus isn't on Samuel anymore. It seems to be on Samuel a while back. But he wants to make note that the spiritual center of Israel, which was Samuel, is now dead. He's gone to be with the Lord and Israel laments. Then you come to verse 2 and the writer introduces the reader to a very rich man in Carmel named Nabal. So, in fact, if you read verse 2 and 3, you realize this guy's got some wealth. I mean, he's got lots of sheep, lots of sheep, lots of holdings. He's actually from Manon, but he does his business on Mount Carmel, on Mount Carmel. Now, the text also tells you that 
Nabal was evil in his doings, but he had a wife, Abigail, who was wise and beautiful. Wise and beautiful. So here's this scoundrel by the name of Nabal, who is very evil in all of his doings, but he has one thing going for him. He's got a great woman, and she's beautiful, and she's very wise. In fact, the text tells you she has lots of understanding, which is just another way of telling you that she's wise. Now, it's the time of sheep shearing, okay? So there's a time when they shear their sheep, and it's a time of festival. It's really the time of celebration. And David heard that Nabal was shearing his sheep and sent his men to bring greetings. So it's that time when the flocks get to that point where they need to be sheared. It's a time of festival. And, and so David is basically saying, okay, I want to send 10 men to basically go and make a request of Nabal. Make a request of Nabal. They were to request supplies since David and his men had been protecting Nabal's flocks. You would say, it sounds like protection money. Well, in a way, yes, but it's kind of a customary thing that the people who are watching over to make sure that your flocks are okay would benefit from that protection that they gave at shearing time. And so David is asking for what is customary, that his men would be supplied because they had been protecting Nabal's flocks. Well, remember I told you that Nabal, the text tells us, was evil in his doings? Well, he responded by insulting David as a runaway servant from his master. So he's responding by insulting David that he is a runaway servant. In fact, you might be saying to yourself, what? Well, look at what he says here. And uh, basically Nabal says in verse 10, Nabal answered David's servants and said, who is David and who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away each one from his master. Okay, so let's just kind of stop for a moment. You're saying, what's the insult there? Well, it's actually a big insult. If you recognize a little bit earlier in chapter 25, it says that Nabal is from the house of Caleb. Do you remember who Caleb was? Caleb was one of the 12 spies who basically said, go into Israel, where the other 10 said, don't, okay, when they were walking through the wilderness. Caleb is of the house of Judah. He's from the tribe of Judah, which happens to be, let's remind ourselves, folks, the same tribe that David is from. David is also from the tribe of Judah. So when he says, who is David? Who is this son of Jesse? First of all, he knows very well who David is. Remember, David's the national hero. It's basically an insult. He's insulting who David is and then making the statement, there are many servants who are fleeing from their masters today. That too lets you know that Nabal knows exactly who David is. Nabal even knows the trouble that exists between Saul 
and David. And he's insulting him. He's insulting him. But that's not all he's doing. He rejected his request. So after Nabal rejected David's request, the men quickly returned to David with the reply. Wow, not good. It's kind of insulting him. Yeah, but I'm going to tell you something. That kind of thing would happen today. Nothing would probably happen. But that's not happening today. That's happening several thousand years ago. And things were handled a little bit different back then. In fact, here's what happened. David then mustered 400 men to arm themselves and go with him. He left 200 men to watch their stuff. Remember, at this point, the text has already told us in a prior chapter that he has 600 men. So he takes 400 men, he tells them to gird on their sword, that is, arm yourself. We're going to do, take care of some business. And the business that they're going to take care of isn't good. So what happens is, is that Nabal has a servant who sees all that's going on and he perceives somehow that things aren't going to go good. So Nabal's servant informed Abigail about the master's treatment of David's men. So the servant comes, tells them, hey, this is how the master treated David's servants. And he also informed her about how David's men provided them protection. Basically, the servant says, when David's men were with us in the field, they protected us against any kind of enemy, any kind of attack from raiders and so forth. And so here's what happened. He warned her that because of Nabal's action, harm is coming to the household. This servant obviously is wise enough to know that, okay, we just invited a lot of trouble here, we just picked on the wrong guy. We just insulted a guy with 600 men. They're probably going to come and take care of this problem. Abigail, you need to recognize we're in harm's way, and it's all because of the master. So that's what's happening here. So the text tells you, remember now she's, she's a beautiful woman, but she's not just a beautiful, she's a wise woman. She's a woman of understanding. So here's what she does. She quickly had the servants gather supplies and went to meet David with them. So what does she do? She does what Nabal should have done, is get together a bunch of stuff for David to thank him for protecting her. But she's not just doing it for a thank you now. She's doing it to protect the household from being destroyed. From being destroyed. Now, the text then shifts back to David and his anger. David expressed anger that Nabal treated him that way since he protected his flocks. So David is truly insulted. You ever been insulted by somebody and it's bothering you that somebody would treat you that way, especially somebody that you have been doing good to, that you have been watching over, and to have that person reject you and insult you? Those are some very hurt, real feelings, and David's experiencing those right now. David is experiencing those right now. So David proclaimed 
that he would kill every male in Nabal's household. Now, I think this reflects something. There is a little bit of restraint here on David because he could have gone in and just killed everyone. In fact, we've seen that, where they go in, text has shown us that they would go in and wipe out everyone, kill every animal, women and children, everyone would be killed. David has a little bit of restraint on his anger and says, we're just going to go in and kill every male. Every male. So he's angry and he's losing it because of his anger. He's losing it because of the disrespect shown to him. So the text then moves to where Abigail, of course, sends the goods ahead of her. And then Abigail meets him and she bows down in front of David. So the text then tells us that Abigail pleaded with David not to take vengeance on them since Nabal was a fool. In fact, I think it's interesting. The text tells you that the word Nabal means folly or fool. So he basically had a name that described his character. Fool. He's a fool. He's a folly. And Proverbs tells you that a fool can't be taught. He's unteachable. He knows everything. He doesn't even listen to correction. That's what Proverbs would tell you. So Abigail's pleading with David not to take vengeance because you're dealing with a fool who doesn't know any better. She also does something else. More than just telling David not to kill him because he's a fool, she reminds David that he will be an enduring house and doesn't want this grief. What is she doing, George? Well, I think when you read the text, it's very obvious she's telling David, David, you're going to be king one day. And you're going to be an enduring house. And you really don't want this stain on your record. That you lost it because somebody insulted you and you wiped out the guy who insulted you and everyone, every male in this household you really don't want this grief of heart later on. So Abigail is pointing that out to David. David, you're going to be king. You don't want it to be said you were a ruthless man who really didn't know how to take an insult. She tells David to remember her when the Lord deals with his enemies. She finishes her conversation by saying, you know what, David, when the Lord deals with your enemies, of course what she's inferring here is that her husband Nabal is one of those enemies. Remember her. Remember her and what she was doing here by keeping him from doing wrong. Remember her. Remember her. So David Praise the Lord for sending her to keep him from avenging himself. So David recognizes exactly what's going on here. The Lord sent you to me to keep me from doing harm. The Lord sent you to me to keep me from doing harm. And he blesses her. He praises the Lord. In fact, he took her supplies, blessed her, and sent her on her way home. So David takes the gift. And it's a lot of gift. You can read in the text what it is. 
enough supplies to supply 400 men, 600 men, excuse me, because 200 are back with their other supplies. He blesses her, sends her on her way. Sends her on her way. Now, so the text then moves to Abigail getting home. So at home, she makes it back home. At home, Abigail finds Nabal feasting and waited till morning to speak with him. The text says he was feasting like a king. He was feasting like a king. He was really throwing a mean party because of the shearing time. He was having festival. He was really living it up. So she waited until morning to talk to him. Now was not the time. She would know. Now was not the time to talk to him. So she told Nabal all that happened and David's plan to kill him. So in the morning she says, oh, by the way, honey, uh, I just want to let you know, I went and took those supplies that you didn't want to be given to David. I went ahead and took them, but here's the reason why. David was coming with 400 armed men to slaughter you and all the men in this house because of your foolishness, because you insulted him. Wow. Now, the text also tells you that when she tells him this, Nabal suffered a stroke. Now the text will say that his heart became like a stone. Basically he had some sort of stroke that paralyzed him. And he died 10 days later because the Lord struck him. So he, hearing this news and recognizing that he had basically flirted with death, he has a stroke that paralyzes him and he dies 10 days later, and the text tells you it was the Lord who killed him. The Lord who killed him. Now, there would be a period of mourning. So the text goes on and tells you that, remember she told David to remember me when you deal with your enemies? Well, David remembered her. And after the period of mourning for Nabal, David sent for Abigail to be his wife. We say he's already got a wife. He's got a wife through Saul's daughter, Michal. Yes, but you remember, polygamy exists in this culture. Polygamy exists in this culture, so David takes Abigail for his wife now. He takes Abigail for his wife. The text also tells us that David took another woman from Jezreel to be his wife. So you see now that David, at this point, has three wives. He has Michal, he has Abigail, and he has this other woman from Jezreel. But the text doesn't end there. When you come to verse 44, the writer records that Saul gave Michal, his daughter, and David's wife to another. So you say, what in the world's going on? That wouldn't happen today. Well, that was happened in that culture because David's no longer on the scene. David would be seen as persona non grata, dead to the king. King wants him dead. So the king basically gives his daughter to somebody else. She becomes the husband to somebody else. And the father could do that. The father of the household, and especially the king, could do that. Now, this is going to be mentioned again. What happens here in verse 44 is going to be referred to again 
back when we get to 2 Samuel, when we get to that portion of Scripture. And you're going to see that this is going to be addressed later on. So now we come to chapter 26. All right, so let's stop for a moment. We've seen the choices so far. We've seen the choice that David had to kill Saul. He doesn't do it. He leaves it in God's hands. We see now in chapter 25, he chooses to kill Nabal, but he decides, nope, that's not the thing to do, especially after Abigail intercedes and tells him that's not a good course of action. Leave it to the Lord. And of course, the Lord took care of it. Now we come to chapter 26, and we're going to see, again, another choice that David has to make. And again, it has to do with Saul. It has to do with Saul. So when you come to chapter 26, once again, the Ziphites told Saul where David was hiding. Now, the Ziphites are the inhabitants of the wilderness of Ziph. And remember, when we looked earlier last week, they informed Saul as to where he was. So the Ziphites... Obviously, David's not endeared to them. They're helping Saul. And so they tell Saul, hey, David's hiding among us again. Hiding among us. So Saul took 3,000 men to search for David in the wilderness of Ziph. So here we go again. It's kind of ironic, isn't it? Because back in chapter 24, Saul's saying he's wrong, David's a righteous man, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm telling you, this is how you know the difference between repentance and remorse. This is the difference between getting your hand caught in the cookie jar and admitting that you were stealing the cookies on your own. That's the difference here. Time tells, and time tells that even though he expressed remorse earlier, he still wants David dead so hearing where David is, he takes 3,000 men to search for him in the wilderness of Ziph. Now, David saw that Saul was coming for him again and sent spies out to confirm the report. So David sees 3,000 men coming into the wilderness and he sends out spies to confirm, yeah, is he coming for me? Is this for me? Or is there some other reason going on here? So he sends them out. So as Saul took and his troops were camping, so of course the evening, 3,000 men, they got a bed down. So as Saul and his troops were camping, David took some men and went to the camp. That's pretty bold, isn't it? 3,000 men. David takes a couple of guys with him. One of them is the sons of Zariah. We're going to recognize those guys later as we get further into the text, especially in 2 Samuel. And he goes into the camp. And once again, David's men wanted to kill Saul for him, but David restrained them. And again, when you read the text, they remind David, this is, the, this is what the Lord promised. Let me do it. I won't have to hit him twice. I'll kill him the first time. And David restrained them from touching the Lord's anointed. This time, he's not even cutting off a garment, but he's not even going there anymore. He's making the choice, no, I'm not going to harm him. I'm not going to harm him. So David proclaimed that the Lord would strike him 
and took Saul's spear and water jug. Basically says to the guys, guys, I'm not going to do anything with him. The Lord's going to strike him, but he takes his water jug and spear for a reason. We'll see that here in a moment, for a reason. No one knew, 3,000 men camping, you'd think somebody would know that David's there with his men. No one knew that David was there because they were in a deep sleep from the Lord. So these guys aren't restless that night. They're not suffering from insomnia. God caused them to be in a deep sleep so that David would go into the camp, nobody recognizing what's going on, and be able to take Saul's spear and water jug. Now, the text then tells you that from a safe distance, David called to Abner and rebuked him for not protecting the king. Now remember who Abner is? Abner is Saul's uncle. He is also the commander of the armies of Israel. So from a safe distance, David calls out to Abner, says, Abner, why aren't you protecting the king? Why aren't you protecting the king? And he goes one step further and says, you deserve to die because you're not protecting the king. You're not protecting the king. Saul, recognizing David's voice, asked if the speaker was David. So Saul hears David crying out to Abner, rebuking him, and he says, is that you, David? Is that you? And, of course, David says yes, yes. In fact, it goes on now then, and it says that David questioned why Saul was chasing him again if God or the people were the responsible, and if God were the people were responsible. He's saying, wait a minute now, you're chasing me again, Saul. Is it because God is coming after me that he's using you as a vehicle, or is it because people are telling you things that aren't true? People are telling you things that aren't true. So again, here's what we're going to see. Again, we're going to see this whole issue of remorse. Saul, again, is remorseful. He's gotten his hands caught in the cookie jar again. So Saul expressed that he has sinned, and he asked David to return. Now, isn't this crazy? He didn't do this when he was caught in the cave. He's doing it now. You read the text. He's asking David, come back with me to the kingdom. Come back to me, and life will be the same again. Didn't he already do that once before? And again, he tried to pin David to the wall with a spear. David knows better now, folks. David knows better. But again, this is basically Saul trying to make it right because his hand's been caught in the cookie jar. So here's what happened. David offered Saul's spear back and proclaimed that the Lord will repay. Basically, he says, hey, send up some servants to get your spear and your water jug. This is obvious that I'm not out to kill you. And the Lord will repay the one who's done wrong here. The Lord will repay the one who's done, done wrong here. So then chapter 26 ends with Saul returned to his home and David went on his way. So Saul goes back home and David goes on his way 
And that's the end of chapter 26. Well, the story, though, in 1 Samuel isn't over. Because what we're going to see when we come to chapter 27 and look from there on is that David's had enough. He's had enough of running from Saul in Israel. So David goes into exile. Where does he go? Well, he goes where he went before to the Philistines. Only this time, it's going to be different. And we'll talk about that next Sunday.